I'm amazed sometime at the timing of God. I shared with you last week when we got this book that we're talking about on prayer, the timing of our small groups, the beginning of this season of prayer, the focus of the small groups being upon prayer, the sermons that I'm preaching, another pastor who lives in another state who I have contact with once every 20 years contacted someone and said, I believe this book, this is for your brother Steve. I think he really needs to hear this. I think he really needs to do this. So I just believe that God has us at a really good place right now. There are some things that God asks you to do that will seem foolish. Walking in circles around the walls of Jericho seemed foolish. Till the walls fell down. Then everybody wants to walk in circles. Building an ark. In the middle of the desert seemed foolish till the water started to rise. Then everybody wished they had built an ark. Moses had to feel foolish going into Pharaoh's court and saying, let my people go. And Pharaoh saying, or what? Believing God for bold request often feels foolish. And the bigger the dreams, the more foolish you feel. But if you're not willing to get out of the boat, you will never walk on water. If you're not willing to circle the city, the walls will never fall. In order to experience the miracle that you need in your life, you have to take a risk. And one of the most difficult types of risk is to take a risk of your reputation. A risk of looking foolish. A risk of failing. A risk of being embarrassed. The greatest chapters in history always begin with the risk. And the same is true in our lives. If you're unwilling to risk your reputation, you will never build a boat like Noah or step out of the boat like Peter. We cannot build God's reputation if we are not willing to risk our own. If we don't take the risk, we forfeit the miracles that God has in store for us. Years ago, we talked about the need for a set of drums for the church. Jackie and Frank, I'm sure that they remember that. When I came, one of the things that I said to my wife when we came to Lighthouse, one of the things when we came and talked to the church and the former pastor's wife played the piano, she decided she wasn't coming back anymore to play. She wasn't going to play for us anymore. They moved on and went somewhere else. And, And I said to Lori, I said, honey, are you sure? that you know what we're getting into. I said, hon, they don't have any music at all. And can I be honest with you? There wasn't even much potential for music. There really wasn't. You couldn't see it. You you could look across the congregation and there was not really even the potential. And Lori's like, no, hon, that's where we need to go. I said, okay, but you know what we're getting into. I'm telling you, they don't have any music at all. And it's hard to have a church without some aspect of worship and and the Lord has been faithful to us as we've stepped out and, and we came. And, and I remember at a certain point, God sent Crystal and then Greg was there and we talked about, wouldn't it be great for the church? Wouldn't it be great to have drums? But can I tell you something? Our, our income was probably 60 thousand dollars as a church. And a set of drums seemed out of our reach. Isn't it funny how sometimes things, a, a set of drums, it seems out of our reach. But there's certain seasons in life when it is. 
And so we, Greg talked to us, and he said, you know, about drums, and, and we should get it. And I, so we wanted to get the drums, and, but we didn't have anybody to play, and so we'll get to teach Zach how to play. Well, Zach didn't already play drums. Within a very short period of time, he shared with the people, this is our dream. We'd love to have a set of drums. And, and my neighbor said to me, she said, my nephew, I wish I'd have known you wanted a set of drums because my nephew just sold a set of drums. I said, oh, I wish I'd have known that. I said, well, maybe if he, maybe he sells another set. She said, he got a new set. I said, well, maybe if he sells another set, you let me know. Wouldn't you know? About a month, maybe a month or so later, she called me up. She says, my nephew wants to sell his drums. I said, what? She said, he, my nephew wants to sell his drums. He needs to get rid of his drums. He had just paid, I think it was $2,500 for them. A month and a half before. And she said, he just paid $2,500 for them. I said, well... We don't have $2,500 to pay for a set of drums. And she says, well, well, he wants to sell them. Make him an offer. And I said, no, I won't do that to someone. I won't take advantage of them because we don't have $2,500 for a set of drums. And, and so she came back to me and she said, my nephew wants to sell the drums to the church. And I, I said, you don't understand. We don't have our offerings in. We're $1,000 a week or $1,100 or $1,200. We don't have the money for a set of drums. And she said... Well, he went to the place, and he's going to sell them back to him, and, and they're going to give him $700. And he says, I'm going to get sell them, but I want them to go to the church. I don't want them to go back to the drum store. Will you give me $700? And I was like, well, let me go talk to the board. And we talked to the board, and, and the board approved it. And we had a brand-new set of drums, but we didn't have anybody to play them. <laughs> We're looking nice. And in my mind, there's this stuff going on inside of me. This, in my mind, there was this stuff going on in my head. And I'm thinking, oh, God, we need a drummer. But I, I, I couldn't see a drummer anywhere. I looked and I prayed. And there wasn't a drummer on the horizon. It wasn't around. Well, then a, a family started coming to church. And, and they said, well, our son plays drums. And so he played drums a couple times for us. But then after a period, of, a very, very short period of time, he played a few times. And then I found out some stuff about his life. And I said to myself, I can't let him get up in front of people and lead this congregation in worship when I know these things about him. And so in my heart, there was this battle that went on. God, we got the drums. And I knew that if I let him play, I'd have to compromise what I knew what was right. Yet I understood that people would say, wait a minute, we spent $700 of hard-earned tithe money to buy a set of drums and all they do is sit there and collect dust? What a waste of money. And the Lord spoke to me and he said, if you'll trust me, Steve. He said, if you'll trust me, I'll provide a drummer for you who's here every service. And I was like, I'll be honest with you, I really didn't believe him. Because I couldn't see one. I was looking for a drummer. I couldn't see one. I couldn't figure out how we were going to get a drummer. I remember just making this determination in my heart. I said, okay, God, I can't compromise in this area. So he can't play. And I'll trust you that you'll send me a drummer. Well, a few weeks later, probably within a month, on a Wednesday night, Brian, Pam, Ellen, Howard, and Karen come walking through the doors of the church. 
And they've been here ever since. Let me tell you something. God just didn't give me a drummer. He gave me a drum teacher. He just didn't give me a drummer. He gave me a saxophone player. He gave me a kids church teacher right now. He gave me four Sunday school teachers. He gave me a future staff member. You see this beautiful drywall? He gave me a drywaller extraordinaire. Huh? You think of all the things that Howard and Karen and Brian and Pam and Ellen do here in our church. God knew that I needed something more than a drummer. And he provided that for me. If I would have compromised, it wouldn't have worked out with that person anyhow. But whenever I put my trust in the Lord, somehow God came through and gave me more than what I needed. Now, I want you to think about that for a moment. At times, it seemed impossible for God to come through. The challenges of a new drum set were, are, have been replaced by other challenges along the way. But I want you to know this. Whenever we stood and, and dreamed about a new drum set, it was just as impossible as some of the dreams that we dream today. A new drummer, it was just as impossible as many of the dreams that we dream today. In Numbers 11, after 400 years of slavery... God delivered the people out of Egypt. But it's much harder to get Egypt out of the people. Despite the memories of slavery, despite the memories of genocide, and God's miracles of deliverance, the people want to go back when it gets hard. And if you look at the second part of verse 4, they said, if only we had meat to eat. We remember the fish we ate in Egypt at no cost, all the cucumbers, melons, leeks, onions, and garlic. But now we have lost our appetite. We never see anything but this manna. The Israelites were complaining. Instead of manna, they wanted meat. They remember the free fish they ate in Egypt and forget the food was free because they were not. Isn't it ironic that the Israelites were complaining about one miracle. They were complaining about a miracle that God would drop manna from heaven and provide for them every day, six days a week. And on the seventh day, he would provide, they could get twice as much that God provided for them every day. They're complaining about one miracle while they're asking for another one. They were complaining about manna that was dropped at their doorstep. But before we are too quick to judge them, Don't you and I do the same? Hasn't God done the miraculous for us as well? How quickly we forget God's hand of deliverance. How quickly we forget answered prayers. How quickly we become overwhelmed by the need of the moment or the dream of the future. God instructs Moses to tell the people to prepare themselves because they're going to have meat to eat for a month. I want you to listen to Moses' reply. Moses, God says, I'm going to give them meat, and I'm going to give them meat to eat for a month. Wow. Now, the end of the story isn't real great, but I want you to think about this miraculous. This is what Moses says in verse 21. Here I am among 600,000 men on foot, and you say I will give them meat to eat for a whole month? Would they have enough if flocks and herds were slaughtered for them? Would they have enough if all the fish in the sea were caught for them? Moses is doing the math in his head, and it doesn't add up. 
It's not even close. He's trying to think of any conceivable way that God can come through. He's saying, I just want to try to wrap my mind around this. I want to see what could God possibly do? How could God possibly work this out? And in his mind, he cannot come up with a single scenario to meet his need. How could you possibly come up with meat to feed 600,000 men on foot, not including women and children? Have you ever been there? Have you ever been there? Have you ever felt that you were asking God for something? Or maybe God is asking you to trust Him, to wait on Him, to step out in faith, to do something for Him, to boldly say, this is what God says. And yet, you can't figure out how it could ever possibly work. Yet you know that's what God is calling you to do. But you keep questioning Surely I didn't hear right, Lord. Surely I didn't hear you. I don't really think you said that. Yet in your heart, you know beyond a shadow of a doubt that God's putting that dream or that vision in your heart. Maybe it's to start a business. Maybe it's to adopt a child. Maybe it's to go on a missions trip. Maybe it's to go into ministry. Who knows what the call or the touch that God has put upon your life, but you know maybe it's to save your marriage or maybe it's to see your children saved. And you just say, I've tried. Nothing seems to add up. Think quickly back to the time whenever I was a 16-year-old kid. When I was 16, I felt called to ministry. But the problem was, I wasn't ministry material. That was the problem. The problem was, I was carnal. Everyone knew that my brother John would do well in the ministry. They expected to hear that he was called into the ministry, but not Steve. I remember the first time that I shared that sense that I was called into the ministry publicly. It was at a youth meeting at Central Assembly of God in Cumberland, Maryland. I'm telling you, when I said those words, my heart was beating out of my chest. I also remember that when I applied for Valley Forge and filling out the financial aid form and and getting the paperwork back, and I saw how much it was going to cost me, and I saw how much money I had. I was upset because I knew another guy, and his dad was a farmer. They were able to write off a lot of stuff. And maybe they didn't make much money, but my dad was an electrician. And we didn't make a whole lot of money. I mean, he was, we were blessed. I'm not going to complain. To come up with money for college, sometimes it seems like a big stretch. And this other guy was going to get a whole lot more financial aid than what I was. Like he was getting a lot. And I was getting almost nothing. Did you ever notice that when you start comparing yourself to someone else, your situation to their situation, your circumstances to their circumstances, it's usually not a good place to be, okay? You know, you're in that place and, well, you know, it must be nice. It's getting all this help. I'm not getting nothing. I don't know how I'm going to do it. Maybe you've been there. It felt like such a risk, but I couldn't see how I was going to pay for it. I felt this sense of call to ministry but the problem, it wasn't just the money. The problem was I'm a goof. You know what I mean? Like when you know yourself, you know what I'm saying? I'm not trying to make you laugh. I'm telling you the truth. When you know yourself and you know you're a goof, the guys across the hall, it's so funny. The guys across the hall from me, my first semester of school, had a bet that I wouldn't make it the year. 
Isn't that something? I eventually became some of those guys RA. Isn't that something? Wow, amazing. But the thing was, I knew I was a goof. But I had this fear that I wouldn't finish, that I would fail and, and let people down, that I wouldn't be spiritual enough. What if I embarrass my family? What if I say God's called me and I end up looking like a fool? All these thoughts were going through my mind that night. And I was talking to my mom and we were standing in the kitchen talking. And I walked outside and I sat on the porch on the steps. going down to think. And I just prayed. I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. You know I'm a goof. You know I'm carnal. You know there's a lot of people who are a whole lot more spiritual than me. Like, God, I don't want to embarrass myself. I don't want to look foolish. But, God, I feel that that's, you're calling me, and I don't even know how I'm going to pay for this. I don't, I, don't know how, I don't know how we're going to pay for the first semester. I don't know what I'm going to do. And then I felt that prompting that that's what God wanted me to do. And it was a turning point that day. I walked back in the house. My mom still remembers as she talks about it. I walked back in the house and I said, Mom, God's called me. He's called me. And I'm going to go. I don't know how I'm going to do it. But I'm going to go. Now, can I tell you what? I can't imagine what my life would be like If on that day, that evening, standing outside of my house in the dark, I would have said, no, I am a goof. If it's true, I'm a goof. And it's true, I don't have the money. And it's true, I'm not spiritual enough. And it's true, I I have these fears and anxieties and I'm not sure how this is going to work. But what would have happened if I would have said, oh, maybe I didn't hear from you, God. My whole life would have been different. I would have never met my wife. I would have never had my children. I would have never had the privilege to pastor some of the most wonderful people around. But whenever we follow the call of God, here's the the end of the story. This goof, and I felt this too. I felt God told me that if I would take a step of faith, that he would provide for me. And I had this weird sense in my heart that I'm going to graduate debt-free. Let me ask you something. I didn't have any money. If I worked all summer at my job, I wouldn't have enough money to pay off my car or to even start getting stuff for school. But somehow, I worked all summer and I had enough money to pay off my car, to pay my insurance for the year, and to buy the stuff I needed to go to school and had spending money for the first couple of weeks until I found a job. When it came time for graduation, God provided... On graduation day, I graduated completely debt-free from college. And nine months before, God had lined up the position for me to serve as an associate pastor in Maryland. And so when I graduated, I graduated on Saturday, and I started the ministry full-time on Monday. From that time, God has always provided for me. And it's kind of like, wow. But so much of it hinges on that one moment in time standing outside of the back door where I said, God, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Now, I bet you if we went across this room that these testimonies are multiplied many times over where God's called you to do something and you feel so completely inadequate. God's put a vision in your heart. He's put a dream in your heart. He's put something that he wants you to do. And you say, I cannot see how that could possibly come to pass. On Wednesday night, we talked about the feeding of the 5,000. 
The disciples gave Jesus five loaves and two fish that were in their hands. It was not enough to meet their need. How far would this small lunch go among so many? Only in God's economy. Only in God's economy can five loaves and two fishes feed 5,000 men, not including women and children, and have a remainder of 12 baskets that they had more left over when they were done than what they had when they started. If you put what little you have in God's hand, God will make up for the rest. God doesn't just add, God multiplies. So many times people want to think this about money. This is about every area of your life. You give what little strength that you have, and God will multiply it. You put, you know, in a relationship, you give what you have, and God will multiply it. It will be more than enough. You say, Pastor, I don't have the faith for it. That's all right. You give what little faith. You say, you say, Pastor, all I got is the faith the size of a mustard seed. Well, that's more than enough. Because if you have faith the size of a mustard seed, you can say to this mountain, be removed and cast into the sea, and God will do it. Verse 31. Now a wind went from the Lord and drove the quail in from the sea. It brought them down all around the camp to about three feet above the ground, as far as a day's walk in any direction. All that day and night and all the next day, the people went out and gathered quail. No one gathered less than 10 homers. As you look at that, a homer was equal to approximately 10 and a half bushels. Each person collected 10 homers. No one collected less than 10 homers. So each person collected 105 bushels of quail. There were 600,000 men, not including women and children. Just the men, that's 63 million bushels of quail. God just doesn't provide in dramatic fashion. He provides in dramatic proportion. Moses could never have anticipated the answer, this answer to prayer. It was unpredictable and it was unprecedented. It had never happened like that before. But Moses had the guts to take God at his word. And he went out and he said to the people, God said that you're going to have enough meat to eat for a month. When you take him at his word, you never know how God will meet your need. You never know how God will answer your prayer. Before the quail storm appeared, God asked Moses a question. It's more than a question if you're taking notes. It's the question. And your answer to this question will determine your future. It'll determine the request that you present before God. It will determine the dreams. It'll determine the limitations that are placed upon your life. What was that question? God said to him, is there any limit to my power? The obvious answer is no. God is omnipotent, which means there's nothing God cannot do. Yet many of us pray as if our problems are bigger than God. I'd like to let you on in the truth. God is infinitely bigger than your biggest problem. He's infinitely larger 
than your most difficult situation. He is much more massive than your biggest dream. And his grace is infinitely bigger than our biggest sin. A.W. Tozer believed that a low view of God, he said this, a low view of God is the cause of a hundred lesser evils. But a high view of God is the solution to 10,000 temporal problems. If that is true, then our biggest problem isn't the bad news that we heard this week. Are your problems bigger than God? Or is God bigger than your problems? Our biggest problem is a small view of our God. It's a high view of God that is a solution to every other problem or situation or circumstance that we face. Is there any limit to my power? I believe that's what God would ask of us today. And have you answered that question in your heart? Is there any limit to my power? Well, when it comes to my kids, there is. Well, when it comes to my marriage, there is. Well, yeah, I believe that. But when it comes to my health, there is. I believe that. But when it comes to my finances, there is. There's only two options. Yes or no. And until you come to the conviction that God's grace and power knows no limits, you and I will continue to pray small prayers. Once we embrace the omnipotence of God, we'll boldly ask for God-sized dreams. One of the things I've been praying for myself is, God, would you enlarge my vision? How big is your God? Is he big enough? I want to confront you today with this question. And before you leave here, I want you to answer it. You don't have to yell it out loud. But how big is your God? Is he big enough to heal your marriage? Is he big enough or not? Is he big enough to save your backslidden child? Is he big enough to deliver you once and for all from the sinful habits or secret sin? Is he big enough to renew your vision and your dreams, even if they've been delayed? Is God bigger than your circumstances or are your circumstances bigger than God? Is God bigger than what other people do? Or is some coworker what they do bigger than your God? Is he big enough not only to provide not only our needs, but is he big enough to provide for the dreams and desires of our hearts that we have enough to share? Moses was perplexed at the promise God had given him. How could God possibly provide meat for a month? It didn't add up. But at that critical moment, when Moses had to decide whether or not to stand in front of people and say, God's going to give you meat to eat. God posed the question, is there any limit to my power? At that very critical moment, at that moment in time when Moses had to determine, I'm going to circle this thing in prayer. I'm going to petition God for it. God says, is there any limit to my power at that very moment? The size of our prayers depends on the size of our God. And if our God knows no limits, then our prayers should know no limits. Some of you have become weary and you've given up praying for certain things. Because emotionally, you're tired from that. My friend, I want to encourage you that our God knows no limits. 
With God, there's no big or small. I want you to listen to this. With God, there's no big or small. There's no easy or difficult, possible or impossible. Because he doesn't know any boundaries. Do you know God cannot distinguish between your big problem and your small problem? It doesn't register on God's chart the things that you view as possible or impossible. He knows no limits, but what he does respond to is he responds to faith. Even our hardest prayers are easy for the omnipotent one to answer because there's no degree of difficulty. It all comes down to your answer to this question. Is there any limit to my power? When God gives a vision, he makes provision. We just need the courage to step out in faith. When God is calling us to get out of the boat, otherwise we'll forfeit a miracle. When God calls us to build an ark, in in spite of what other people say, Noah stepped out and he built the ark. We have to believe that God can send a wind that will bring 63 million bushes of quail into the camp. He can fulfill his promise to you and to me. And we need to do our part. And our part is taking a step of faith and pursuing the dream that God has put on our hearts. So what step of faith do you need to take? What is God calling you to do? What decision do you need to make once and for all? On what promise do you need to put down a stake? Now this goes a whole, listen to me, this is a whole lot bigger than a capital campaign and building a building, a sanctuary for Lighthouse. It's a whole lot bigger than that. This is about your future. This is about your children and your grandchildren's future. This is about God doing miraculous things. This is about some of you stepping out. You know, when David stepped out and fought Goliath, you know, David then was surrounded by all kinds of other guys who killed giants. You know why? Because they're like, I know David. And David's not really much different than me. He just was willing to take a step of faith. And again and again, he surrounded himself with people like that. What is God asking you to do? Maybe for some of you, some of you may have a dream of starting a business. Some of you may have a dream of starting a ministry. Some of you may have a a circumstance that's completely in the natural impossible. And God's asking you to circle it in prayer and draw a line in the stand like Honey did and say, I'm not moving from this place. I'm not moving. God's going to answer me. And I got this whole list of things that that I've been praying. But I want to share with you two of mine. I have more than this. One of them is that God would do deep healing in people's lives so that they could break free from the torment of the enemy. There's things that God needs to do in people's lives that sit within this congregation and in our community. There's deep things from 50 years ago. And they keep surfacing. Those things keep surfacing. You know, you push them down and they keep coming back up. And they, you push them down and you think you deal with them and they keep coming back up. And to be honest with you, it's going to be hard for us corporately to move forward consistently until God be, heals and delivers and sets free in those things. So I'm asking God to do supernatural miracles in people's lives. What we see is we see the fruit, but God wants to deal with the root. All right? He wants to deal with the root issues. And I'm asking that God would, let me ask honestly, how can I solve hurts and wounds in people's lives and, and really defects and brokenness that's been there for 50 and 60 years? I can't do that. 
I can't talk it out of you. But I serve a God who can do the miraculous. I serve a God who's like a surgeon can just penetrate right down there to the very core, the root of the issue, and just pluck that out, bring healing and deliverance in people's lives. That's one of mine. The other one is that God would enlarge our borders. And the Lord used Frank. Frank did not have my message. I didn't say, I didn't tell Frank, Frank, would you please go ahead and, you know, take care of this. I did talk, actually, I did talk to him about bold requests and how big is our God. But the Lord spoke to us today. He wants us to ask for bold things. We believe in what God's going to do here. We believe in the fact that in the future, that God is going to use this church, that he's going to give a harvest. And in spite of what the circumstances look around us right now, ah, circumstances come and go. Some days it's cloudy. Sometimes it's rainy. Sometimes it's stormy. But one thing is God remains the same and his promises remain the same. And you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to believe. I'm going to circle that in prayer for the next 40 days. And I'm going to believe that God is going to do the miraculous. That he's going to do what the riches can't. That he can't. He's going to do what the rights can't. He's going to do what Sonny can't. That, that even whenever it doesn't look like there's any rain, it doesn't look like it's going to be possible, that God, I'm stepping out. And I'm going to believe you. Now, this isn't for me. This is for all of those. And this isn't for us who are here. It's not for us. We're comfortable. We can stay comfortable. This is for those who are out there, who the Lord has yet to call. Those who God is going to touch their hearts and move on them. That's why we're doing this. This isn't for us. It's for them. And we're going to trust this, that God is going to honor our faith. And he's going to do the miraculous for us. As we close, I just want to ask you this. How big is your God? Is he big enough? Is he big enough to heal your home? Is he big enough to deliver you? Is he big enough to come through? Well, you have to come to that place where you determine in your heart how big he is. But I believe, because I've seen it time and time again, that when we step out in faith, God comes through. In the book it says it may be cloudy. It's cloudy with a high chance of quail. Father God, I pray right now as we finish this time together, I ask God that you would settle some things in people's hearts. The Holy Spirit spoke into some people's hearts and he wants you to determine in your heart how big he is. He wants you to settle that today. How big is your God? Is he bigger than the problems? Is he bigger than the circumstances? Is he bigger than the need? Is he bigger than what other people are doing? I want to encourage you. Would you find a place here where as an act of obedience and sacrifice that you step out and you present that need before the Lord today at the altar? And maybe you've come for the 10th time or the 100th time, but today you want to settle that. Father God, as we open up these altars, I just pray that your people would respond. And I pray that they would determine in their hearts that they would not back down, that they wouldn't move, but they would determine beyond a shadow of a doubt, Lord, I'm going to trust you, even if I look like a fool. And I'll thank you for that, Lord, in Jesus' name.